Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Top secret SCI. Can you have top secret SCI information in your Florida home? Yes, all of this relates to Donald Trump and the FBI's visit to his Mar-a-Lago residence, um, allegedly removing some documents that still retained their classification markers, leading to a lot of online security clearance and classification experts. With us today is Love Rutledge. She is the host of the Fed Upward podcast. Listen to it wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, you can find her at fedupwardcoaching.com. She reached out, has seen a lot of chatter about classification and folks talking about their security clearances online. So we decided to have a little dialogue as a federal workforce expert. She's joining us to kind of talk a little bit about what she's seen, some other issues around the federal workforce and classification today. Thank you so much, Love, for being on the program and kind of talk through a little bit about what led you to have this conversation with us today. Obviously, anybody who is even half paying attention to the news knows that the former president's residence in Florida was, I guess, investigated and FBI agents took several boxes of classified documents out of his residence. And I'm not going to get into the political side of that story, but I do want to talk about all of the people coming out of the woodwork on every social media channel saying, well, when I handled classified material or as a TSSCI clearance holder, let me tell you, you've got this story all wrong. And every time I see it, I'm just cringing because people are divulging all kinds of personal information and professional information on the internet on open sources and telling everybody their stuff. So can you talk a little bit about why that might not be a good idea? Yeah, so clearancejobs.com is the largest career site for folks with an active federal security clearance. Um, within clearance jobs, we obviously have all of the great you know, networking and career marketplace features that you'd expect for from a career website. Um, what I get all excited about is all of our content because that's kind of my wheelhouse of what I do. So we have a news site, we have a blog, um, we have a forum. We're do, you know, sending newsletters out each month. We have a ton of resources around content that we can give. And we provide a lot of information about the security clearance process um, to candidates and applicants, folks who already have a security clearance, who are just interested in these issues. Because um, just as we've seen from the past week, right, we don't really kind of pay attention to the national security workforce when they're doing their job most of the time. And then something hot happens in the news and suddenly we're like, oh, wait, what is a security clearance? Um, what are what are classification guidelines? What's what's going on here? Um, we get a little more interest outside the community. So that's kind of when you have those kind of questions, clearance jobs probably has those answers out there. Well, and there's security classification markings and then there's records management as well. And that's something that is kind of adjacent to what you do at clearance jobs, right? Because there are all kinds of rules and policies around how records have to be maintained by whom, where, when, all of those things. So any advice for folks learning about those rules or what you can and can't cannot talk about on open source platforms? Yeah, well, I mean, because there's always what's allowable and then just what's advisable, right? And we kind of put it, you know, within two different arcs. 
works. So we get that question a lot at clearance jobs about, hey, can I list that I have a security clearance on my resume or things like that? And I will say there's always some nuance around that. You can ask different security professionals and you might get a different response. The baseline is the fact that you have a security clearance is not classified. So there's nothing preventing somebody from saying, hey, I have a top secret security clearance. Is it advisable to go around public facing social media sites in particular and advertise that? It's something we even talk about a ton on LinkedIn. You know, we get the common complaints from folks saying, hey, I keep getting all these weird connection requests from people. About half the time people say that I look at their profile and they have their name TSSCI as their profile name. And I'm like, well, if that's what you're leading with, you're going to get, I mean, China and Russia are going to be hot connection requests for you. So people are going to be looking for you online because you're leading with that. It's not necessary. I think, you know, it's not putting you in a better place career-wise, I would say, especially on a public-facing social media site to lead with that. And you are going to get a lot of more nefarious requests from different folks and folks that you don't necessarily know if you're just kind of headlining with that as your primary attribute, the fact that you have a clearance. And I think it's also a bit of a misnomer too, because it is always funny to me. Again, these stories happen and everyone is suddenly an expert. It's kind of like, you know, COVID, suddenly all of our friends became medical experts and we're like, wait, wait, how many of you went to medical school? It's similar with classification, only on the scale of 4.2 million people have a security clearance. Simply the act of possessing a security clearance does not actually make you a classification expert. I know this is someone who had a security clearance and did not even know what FOUO meant for like two years. I mean, there's just like most of us, unfortunately, there is a small subset of people who are experts on classified information my guess is I know those secret squirrel types. They are not the people that are currently commenting on social media. And there is the rub. Yeah, absolutely. And f- for folks who may not be familiar with the CUI classification level, can you talk just a little bit about a little bit more about what it is and when it was rolled out? Because it is still very new. Yeah, well, this is a huge hot topic right now because, you know, recently the government created this new category of controlled unclassified information, which is to kind of caveat all of this, you know, intellectual property, the sensitive but not classified information that is out there. So we're kind of hitting around this hot topic of that there is more to security than simply the classification markings. There is information that is sensitive but not classified. The things like the FOUO stuff, which again, I'm like the picture girl for what not to do because as a a young person, I just did not understand. I thought it was just classification and then or bus. Like I did not realize, oh, that we have access to sensitive information and, you know, there might be these these different categories. So I think the government, I mean, they're trying to create guidance around that, but the CUI piece of it is just brand new. So there are some things that are being rolled out around keeping that information safe, but it's all still new, early, tentative. We are very early on into the guidance around the CUI stuff. So let's talk about that. If you have a security clearance and you find that you have accidentally brought something home that you should not have, what are your first steps? I mean, first step is definitely to report it to your security officer. I mean, you get in way more trouble for the things you don't report, the things that you do. And accidents do happen like this. I think if if you've worked in a SCIF or a classified facility, everybody knows the person who at one point accidentally filed something incorrectly, didn't lock something up properly. The government and the security clearance process are always much more concerned about patterns of behavior than they are individual screw-ups. So there is a lot of grace for the one-time error lapse of, oops, I accidentally took something home. The nefarious people that we see out there 
they're not one-time oopsie daisies. They are people who have a pattern of breaking the rules. And actually that pattern of rule breaking is one of the key pieces that points to somebody who is probably a risk for violating classification procedures and also being involved with, you know, foreign intelligence services because they probably have ego issues. They probably think they're above the law or know better in some capacity. And they might be great patriots and they might sense love America, but they also love themselves more. And so they have a pattern of like doing things that just make their own lives easier and because they think they can. If you are that person who has at one time accidentally threw something in a folder or in your backpack and took it home or accidentally uploaded something that you shouldn't have or or did something, report it to your security officer. And this is where I always say, you should know who your security officer was. Again, I I like to... Talk about how I work at clearance jobs because I broke every rule possible when I was actually in government. I don't remember who my security officer was for several rotations that I had. And it was usually like somehow like ancillary to what I was doing. I found out, you know, because I had to go to a certain building and they were like, oh, so-and-so is the security officer. I was like, oh, you know, I didn't know till I needed to know. I now advise people. It's just a good proactive step if you change duty assignments or you work in a new government office. I would like to think that you would get some kind of initial security training, but I think so much of that is online or virtual now, and we just all go through the wickets of like, click, click, click. Yes, I I did the training. Knowing the actual person, because again, if you do something, you're going to want to report it to a person. And so knowing who that person is before you screw up can help shore up, you know, some, some goodwill ahead of time. Yeah, absolutely. And shorten the timeline that it takes to get an incident reported, just to make sure that everybody is tracking and you're not keeping anything, you know, kind of swept under the rugs. Like you said, the faster you report, the better off you'll be. Exactly. I want to pivot a little bit to another story that's in the news right now, which is the potential legislation around Schedule F. You talked a little bit earlier about, well, we might have people who don't know the procedures, but might have a big ego or are new to government and don't know all the rules. And all of the Schedule F talk really has me worried that, you know, if that were to go through, that we'd have a lot of people in government who are brand new and a lot of old timers would leave. Are you well versed enough in that discussion to talk a little bit about what the Schedule F legislation touches on? I know it's just kind of looking to kind of overhaul the civil service and the way it works and some of the competitive hiring rules, protections around things like firing. I'm certainly not well-versed enough to know, you know, we kind of have these ebb and flows of these changes to how the federal workforce operates. Until something happens, I generally don't get overly just, you know, invested in what what it might look like. I mean, I think we have the issue now when I look at Schedule F is saying I'm all about updating, overhauling things. It's just like my nature as a person. Like I'm very pro change. I'm very pro movements forward. I'm also like pro viewing the lay of the land. And right now with the way the government workforce is operating, we have huge issues with the graying of the government workforce, right? I mean, and it, you know, and things change and the economy shifts things a little bit. We don't just have this issue of a lot of people coming into government and not leaving. We have the issue of right now, can we attract enough people into government? So I think, you know, what I would like to see bearing out through both executive order and congressional policy are policies that help to attract more young people into government and then also retain them at that critical middle management level. So when I'm focusing on like what needs to happen within government, that's kind of where my focus area lies and less on is schedule F the answer. I mean, I I don't know what it would actually look like. I can't imagine a Biden administration kind of resurrecting it, but again, I'm I've just seen the chatter in the past few days about, you know, the possible moves around that. 
Lauren Silman had a great piece in the Lawfare blog. If you're not familiar with that, folks, highly recommend that you go check it out. That outlines it specifically for the pros and cons for national security professionals and how it might be detrimental to the national security workforce, retaining folks who actually know what they're doing, who understand policy procedures and that sort of thing. But yeah, totally agree that there are obviously tons of room for improvement in the civil service management procedures and processes. No one can argue that point. I am definitely certainly concerned about federal employees becoming like at will employees because then you just lose the professionalism potentially of the executive branch employees and other branches as well, but mainly executive branch. What else, Lindy, has been in the news lately or is bubbling up on clearance jobs that we haven't talked about? Well, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see the end of the classification. I get all excited when the mainstream news starts to care about classification. So I'm going to ride this train as long as I can, love, because I feel all these articles bubbling up and some interest in it. And I'll be curious to see if the topic of overclassification starts to come into it again, because I think that's something that we talk about, but we don't actually see a ton of movement on. I think it's worth noting that the Information Security Oversight Office released a report, I think June, July, kind of their annual report. And one of the little nuances that they touched on there was how COVID-19 had hampered their efforts on declassification. And it's not something that I had thought about, but you look at how information does get declassified and it's all of these, a lot of it is the automatic declassification authorities, right? Like things are just automatically at like a 25 year, 50 year, whatever year rule will be declassified, but they still have to have somebody manually review all of that. Well, as you can imagine, the low hanging fruit to not get done over COVID is probably, oh, let's automatically review these 50 year old documents. So I think there is a backlog there of information to get declassified. And just anytime you start to get, I mean, we talked about the security clearance investigation backlog, you know, years ago, that's, that's not a good thing. It's a lot less sexy, but a backlog of government documents to to get declassified over time just starts to build up. And we just we have reams and reams of classified data and it's never a high priority. But yet we still always push this whole open government move to have, you know, information put in the public square. So we kind of have these top, these issues that are just kind of at a juxtaposition. So I'll be curious to see if all the mainstream news chatter on classification today prompts a little more interest in that overclassification topic on that June, July report from the ISU about, we kind of have this backlog around declassification that was caused by COVID. Will there be a push to say, hey, let's look again at this overclassification piece? I mean, I'm to put Trump back in it to just keep it hot, hot, hot for a while. Like, I'll be very curious to see if we ever find out what is actually included within those documents. Now, I know there's speculation about what it is, but like, would they actually, if those truly were declassified, right, and they were actually supposed to be declassified, will we get to see what those documents were? I mean, I think that'll be interesting. Like, how, why were they declassified? Did they get declassified? And then why were they sitting in Mar-a-Lago? Nerds like me are are curious about things like that. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of us are interested to see what was in those documents if they were actually declassified. As you know, when we have issues like those around the release of information that Snowden was working with and on WikiLeaks and all that stuff, if the if the documentation, if the information has not been declassified, even if it's in the public space, anyone who has a clearance is not supposed to go and view it. So just a reminder there too, if the information 
does not prove to have been declassified and is somehow put in the public domain, don't go read it. Trump said it was declassified, love, so we can just read it anytime we want. I mean, that would be interesting. I love like the minute by minute. I mean, we're going to have to, the technology has to be able to do this soon, right? We like, we need a minute by minute breakdown of like when information was declassified. I mean, that's a funny thing too, because we talk about that. How do we tell information is declassified? If it's a paper document, the way now generally still is like, right, cross it out and put a stamp on it. Stamps, kids. Remember the stamps? Like, I feel like the next generation, this is this might be a part of our problem attracting young people to government. They're gonna be like, What? You put a you have to put a stamp on it? I mean, there, there's digital ways as well, but I mean like paper copies, the way you do it is cross it out and put a stamp on it. We're totally analog in that realm, right? When it comes to declassification. <laughs> yeah. But when you're looking at a piece of paper, which there are you know, we joke about that, but the people in the leadership were, were not totally at a, at a digital age. I mean, it even goes back to the whole scandal around, like, can, at the time, President Obama have an iPhone? You know, I think there's the nature of, like, we're still in the middle of this digital shift here happening, right? And, like, we see it probably nowhere better than the security clearance process, where we kind of have this analog digital convergence. We're dealing with a lot of paperwork and a lot of papers, but we also have things that are digital. I'm not the best person to speak to it, but it's just very interesting to see the pros and cons around the digital, the analog, all of that stuff working together and how we figure it all out. A hundred percent. I mean, digital or analog folks, you know, don't go squawking all over social media about your clearance. No matter what your political leanings are, doesn't matter. It's just not the best practice like we let off with in this show. I just want to remind everybody of that again. And second, as we mentioned, (laughs) even if these documents that are in the news right now with the Trump story are put out in the public domain, don't go look at them if they're not actually declassified. Just don't do it. I think those are the best two takeaways. That's the best thing we tell people. There's no need to advertise your clearance. And like you said, if if information is out there, unless you know it's been declassified or you can get that, again, government seal of approval that this is actually declassified, don't troll around the intercept looking for documents. Oh, my gosh. Please. Because we don't want to be back on either of our podcasts talking about you. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I always need new hot topics, love. So. No, I don't want that. Be good. Be good. Love, tell me a little bit more about Fed Upward, where folks can find you and what kind of information that you generally share at Fed Upward. Yeah, thanks for asking. So you can find me again at fedupwardcoaching.com forward slash podcast or wherever you download your podcasts. You can find uh, Fed Upward. I aim to give federal employees information that they can use to better navigate through all of our Byzantine bureaucratic systems and processes so that they can stay focused on the mission. I am a 22-year federal employee myself. And I feel all the pain that you all feel just trying to make it through the day and get the things you need to get your job done. So my goal is to make things a little bit easier. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clearedcast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.